Uh, we're starting a new series today as we start talking about the way of Jesus. We're diving into the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be looking at Matthew's chapter 5 through 7, and we're going to be looking at it for about six to eight months. Uh, and so we're going to spend a long time uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to kind of run this up until right before Christmas and jump into some Christmas things and do kind of a part one, and then we're gonna start a part two, first of the year next year, and run this for a while. And the reason we're doing this is because I believe the Sermon on the Mount is the most important document that's ever been written. I believe it's the most important words that Jesus gives to his people. I believe it's the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. I believe there's nothing that compares to it in wisdom, in power, in authority, in grace, in mercy, in truth, in love. All of those things are found in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're coming out of a series where we looked at Jesus' words to the seven churches in Revelation. And so we kind of looked at what does Jesus have to say to the church, right, to all of us, and now we want to dive into what does Jesus have to say to each of us individually. What are the words that he would have for all of us about not just what we believe, but about how we live? Uh, how many of you have seen this show, Undercover Boss? Anybody, anybody seen that show? It's, it's, I, 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 I'm, I ha, I'm skeptical about those kinds of things because they're all, the costumes are always terrible. Are you with me? Like the, the, whoever is doing the costumes for the, uh, the CEOs, it's always a bad costume. But the idea is there's a CEO or a boss of, of a corporation who comes in uh, and he dresses up or she dresses up like a normal everyday worker and comes in and works and they film the whole thing and antics ensue, right? There's always somebody who's a jerk. There's somebody who like is mean and doesn't understand it. And sometimes they fire them on the spot and it's really dramatic. And, and then there's sometimes when somebody's going through a hard time and the boss is really loving and kind and the boss kind of gives them a hug and gives them a raise and gives them, and it kind of gives some little it makes you think that corporations aren't evil, right? It does those kinds of things. Like it, 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 but, but the whole time, there's a camera crew following somebody in a bad costume. Has anybody else caught this? Like I, I feel like most of America has not realized, like, in order for this to happen, there's got to be a camera crew that comes in and films everything. Like, they don't just have hidden cameras somewhere around there. Like, they have to think something's going on. And so how dumb are these people that just like act like idiots on this and are terrible employees while the camera's on uh, in the middle of it? There's, there's been some really good spoofs of this. I really love the, the Saturday Night Live uh, Kylo Ren. Have you guys seen that one? Uh, where the, the evil character from uh, Star Wars comes in and pretends like he's an undercover boss on the Death Star. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, there's a great Papa John's commercial where Shaq dresses up like, a, like he's, a, he's a normal everyday worker and he walks into, is it Papa John's or Domino's or wherever, whatever it is that Shaq owns, it's Papa John's, right? So he goes into Papa John's. There's all of these funny things. But I, I started to wonder this week, if Jesus were an undercover boss at the church, he'd have to hide his beard, right? He'd have to not wear sandals and a robe. But if Jesus came into the American church and just kind of hung out for a little bit, interviewed us, what would he think? What would he say? What would his words for us be? And I think 
the Sermon on the Mount gets to some of those things because every time we encounter the actual words of Jesus, we have a choice. Every time we come across the truth that he reveals, the wisdom that he gives us, the advice that he gives for our life, the commands that he asks us to obey, we have a choice. We can either receive those words or we can reject them. And so we're gonna kind of dwell in these passages over the coming year. And I wanna invite you to actually dwell there. Matthew chapter five through seven. I want your Bibles to be well-worn over these two chapters. I wanna invite everybody to a journey of reading and rereading these, not just on Sunday when we're gathered together, but throughout the week. One of the practices that I created when I was first becoming a follower of Christ, like one of the best and most foundational and formative discipleship practices that I did was somebody asked me to read the Gospels over and over and over again. And so when I was a new believer and I was trying to figure out what am I called to do, who am I supposed to be, what does the Bible teach, we didn't start in Revelation, we started in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, 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 and my, the advice that I was given was take a passage. So your Bible already has these kind of paragraph forms, right? There's a little header, and then there's a few paragraphs, and then there's another header. What I wanna invite you to do in the journey with us over the coming months is every single week, take one of those headers and just read it every day. Just sit in it. Dwell in it every morning, wake up with that passage, read through 10 or, or, or 15 or 20 verses over and over again, and as you're reading it, this was the advice that was given to me, ask yourself, do I believe the same thing that Jesus believes? Do I live in the same way that Jesus is living here? Do I love in the same way that Jesus is loving here? Do I trust in the same things that Jesus is trusting in here? And if you don't, then ask for it. Right, Lord, I wanna believe as you believe. I wanna do the things that you do. I wanna teach with the same authority and power. I wanna, I wanna trust God in the same way that you trusted him as a father. I wanna all of these things and go back and forth over and over and over again and say, we don't wanna just read the Sermon on the Mount. We don't wanna just know the Sermon on the Mount. We could even memorize the Sermon on the Mount. We want to live the Sermon on the Mount. Are you with me? We wanna learn how to walk in it. And so I wanna set the table for this message today and I wanna just simply talk about what we mean when we say the way of Jesus. And in order for us to acknowledge that there is a way of Jesus, we have to first acknowledge that that means there are counter ways in our culture. There are other ways of living that are contrary to the way of Jesus. And all of us have this way in which we inhabit the world and we live in the world that is either walking in the way of Jesus or walking in our own way. And so I wanna start in Matthew chapter four. So here's what's happened up to this point. Jesus has been born, he's been baptized, He's been tempted in the desert. He started calling his disciples. He started drawing crowds around him, and he started teaching and performing miracles. And so all of these crowds are starting to gather, and Jesus is gathering his followers, and he's asking them to follow in the way of Jesus. That's the invitation that he gave to all of his disciples, is I wanna teach you something. In scripture, Jesus says, I wanna teach you a new yoke. I wanna teach you a new way. I wanna teach you to walk in my way. The teachers and the Pharisees at that time were amazed at Jesus' power and teaching because they said he taught with a new authority. He taught with a new way. And his invitation is for them to join him 
in the way of Jesus. And that same invitation still exists for us today. I believe that no matter how long you've sat in church services on Sunday mornings, Jesus is still inviting you into his way. Whether this is your first time in church in your lifetime or whether this is your 8,000th Sunday in a row and you've got the perfect attendance award, Jesus is still inviting you to walk in his way. So Matthew chapter four, verse 18, Jesus begins calling his disciples and he says this, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon and his brother, Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, is what Jesus said. He's inviting them to follow his way. And he said this, I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And the first thing I wanna talk about today is the idea that following the way of Jesus means we accept his way. It means that we receive his way. It means that we acknowledge that I'm, it's not my way, it's not America's way, it's not the world's way, it's not my favorite politician's way, it's not my favorite news channel's way, it is the way of Jesus that we're being invited into. And so what does it mean for us to follow Jesus? Dallas Willard said it this way, he said what it means is that we are with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, learning to do what Jesus does. This was the invitation to, for, for the disciples. Jesus said, come and follow me, and what? And I will make you something. That as we follow in the way of Jesus, we actually become more like him. And so we follow in his way, we walk in his way, we are with him, we're in his presence, but we're learning from him so that we can do the things that Jesus did. That's the remarkable thing about what Jesus did with his disciples, was he trained them to do the very things that he did. In John chapter 14, verse six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. There's no, there's no speculation about any other ways or any other past, and when we look at our life, there's a million different paths and a million different ways that we can walk. Jesus says, I, personally, me, the, 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 the resurrected Christ, the, 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 the God who became flesh, I am the way. There is no other way. And so oftentimes when we read this passage, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, we focus so much on the truth of Jesus that we forget the way of Jesus. Are you with me? He's not just talking about what we believe. He's not just talking about what we ascend to or what we morally comprehend or what we say, I think that's real. He's talking about how we live in the way. Eugene Peterson said it this way. He said, Jesus as the truth gets far more attention as Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way is the most frequently evaded metaphor among Christians with whom I've worked with for the last 50 years as a pastor in America. But we cannot skip the way of Jesus in a hurry to get to the truth of Jesus as he is worshiped and proclaimed. Because the way of Jesus is the way that we practice and come to understand the truth of Jesus, living Jesus in our homes, in our workplace, with our friends and our families every day. We cannot just get to the truth of Jesus without getting to the way of Jesus. I was having a conversation with a group of leaders this week, and in the conversation, a certain group came up, and we were talking about this certain group of leaders and this certain group, and, and I said, I have concerns about this group because what I see often in the people that believe in their way of believing, they have this rigidity, and they kind of come off as jerks over and over again. And one of the guys in the conversation said, 
yeah, I, I think you're 100% right. There is this kind of rigidity, and they kind of come off as jerks. But, but the good thing is they have a really high view of Scripture. Can you see the disconnect? We want Jesus as the truth without Jesus as the way. Because if Jesus is not just the, because um, if I have a high view of Scripture, then I'm not a jerk. Are you with me? If I have a high view of scripture, then I believe when Jesus talks to me about loving my neighbor and laying down myself and living as a living sacrifice, all of those things, we don't have a high view of scripture until we live it, right? A high view of scripture is not because we yell at others that they don't believe in it. It's not because I, I, I talk about it. It's not because I know it and I've memorized it. Like scripture says, even the demons believe and they tremble. Right? James says, even they, they, the, the demons have a high view of Scripture. But the question is, are we living it? Do we live and walk in the way of Jesus? The way of Jesus is how we carry our faith. It's not just what we believe, it's how we carry our beliefs. It's how we walk with our beliefs. And Jesus has a plan for how we carry ourselves. And I fear that we be, we've become so much more concerned with what we believe than in how we actually live. Man, even the demons believe, right? Even the demons believe, right? The, even the demons have a high view of Scripture. But the question is, how are we going to walk that out over and over and over again? Because we've been entrusted with a way, Right? It's not just that there's a way of Jesus. If we are disciples of Jesus and we are followers of him, that means we've been entrusted with that way, which that way is intended to bless the world around us. It's intended to love and to serve. And so we learn how to practice the way of Jesus. Peterson said this. He said, a, a Christian congregation, the church in your neighborhood, has always been the primary location for learning the way and the truth and the life of Jesus, believed and embodied in the places among the people with whom we do life with every day. There is more to the church than this local congregation, though. There is the church continuous through centuries, our fathers and mothers who continue to influence us. There is the church spread throughout the world, communities that we're in touch with through prayer and suffering and mission. There is the church invisible, dimensions and instances of the Spirit's work that we know nothing about. And there is a church triumphant. There is the great cloud of witnesses that continue to surround us. But hear this, the local church is the place where all of this gets integrated and practiced. And the immediate circumstances among men, women, and children that we live with, this is where the way of Jesus becomes local and personal. That's what the church is for, is that together we take the way of Jesus that we have been entrusted with and we say to each other, you can do it. And we urge each other on. And we call each other to greatness. And we awaken the kingdom dream that's in our hearts. And we call each other to live out the way of Jesus in our everyday life. And we make more disciples who make more disciples who make more disciples. And we train up our children in the way that they should go so that as they grow older, they won't depart from it. And we create generational faithfulness and generational faithfulness over and over and over again. And in a world that is divided like our country is right now, we need a church that is investing in the way of Jesus because I see a lot of people who have beliefs right now. I, have a lot, I see a lot of people who have opinions right now. 
I see a lot of people who are posting a lot of stuff on social media. You know what I don't see a lot of is the way of Jesus. I don't see a lot of humility. I don't see a lot of kindness. I don't see a lot of enemy love. I don't see a lot of selflessness. I don't see a lot of good neighboring. I see a lot of angry Christians right now who are fighting for something. And maybe we're even fighting for the right thing, but we're fighting for it in the wrong way. Are you with me? We get to live this out and we get to live it together. Matthew 4, verse 20, and this is the end of that passage that I just read earlier. It says, at once they left their nets and they followed him. The second thing about following Jesus is following Jesus means we leave our way and we follow his way. It means that we abandon our way and we follow his way. I don't know if you've ever spent time recently with a toddler, but a toddler is a perfect example of someone who wants his way, right? If there is not a better sign of the idea that we have a will, it is seen in the life of a child as they're developing. Because what happens is eventually, a child begins to make their own way, a child begins to assert their own will, and when the child hits that toddler age, they kinda hit the mine age, and the no age. The I'm not gonna do that, it's mine, and if I don't get my way, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna lay on the ground and start kicking and screaming. My daughter, when she was little, she would just instantly just fall to the ground like somebody had shot her, right? She would just dive to the ground when she wouldn't get her way and just start flailing and, and crying and yelling and shouting. There is this thing inside of us that there is this will that we all wanna pursue and we all wanna chase and we all wanna do. The Bible calls that our sinful nature. We have a nature that says, I want my way. I want a popsicle when I want a popsicle. And mom, you will give me that popsicle, right? I, I want this. And, and what happens is as we grow older, development, what we learn is we learn to lay down our will for the sake of others. That's what parenting is about mostly, right? I don't know, when, 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 when Claire was a little one and she's rolling on the ground screaming and crying, I had these moments where I was like, oh no, she's never gonna get it. She's gonna be this terrible human being who's gonna just fight like this forever. Praise God, she's 12 years old, she loves Jesus, and she's learning the way of Jesus over and over. This is what we do in parenting, is we, 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 we practice the way. Right? We teach our kids over and over again that there is a way of inhabiting the world that is good and beautiful and lovely and wonderful, and it blesses the world around us, and there is a way inhabiting the world that brings evil and darkness, not just to yourself, but to others. And what we are called is to be kingdom ambassadors who announce the kingdom of a new way, who announce that Jesus has come, and because he's come, everything is good and beautiful, and we're planting over and over again the way of Jesus. William Paulsell says this, it's unlikely that we'll deepen our relationship with God in some casual or haphazard way. There's a need for intentional commitment and reorganization of our own lives, but there's nothing that will enrich, enrich our lives more deeply and more clearly than God's presence in a routine of daily living. Getting in the habit of practicing, being in the presence of God and surrendering my will to God's will is the greatest practice that we need as a church. It's the people of God standing before God daily saying, God, I've got my will. 
I've got my desires, I've got my wants, but here's the reality. I've learned in my 46 years of life that my way, my will, my desires, my motives, my motivations, my feelings, my wants are all distorted by my sinful nature, and so I need someone to surrender those things to who can show me clearly a better way. So we learn to practice the way. One of the things I say to people in in pastoral counseling over and over and over again is your life is perfectly designed for the results that you're getting right now. We wonder why we're not getting breakthrough in the kingdom, but we don't spend any time in the word. We wonder why we're not experiencing the presence of God when we're busy every second of every day and we're on our phone playing Candy Crush three hours a day. We wonder why we're not getting the breakthrough in all of these different things when the reality is our life is perfectly designed for the results that we're getting. If we wanna learn to walk in the way, then we gotta be around other people who are walking in the way and we gotta be learning from each other. That's the power of the church. If we wanna learn to walk in the way, then we've gotta build our calendars around it. We've gotta build our schedules around it. We've gotta build time to rest and to Sabbath and to hear from the Lord and to worship him and to pray and to study and to do all of those different things. If we wanna experience the way of Jesus, we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And right now, man, there there are itching ears that wanna hear. And there's all kinds of different teaching that's out there that doesn't address holiness, that doesn't address sin, that doesn't address brokenness, that doesn't address our motives or our motivations or our inner life or our heart. We can go to church and we can hear a message and we can feel great about ourselves and we can feel good about everything without ever hearing the one thing that we need to know. And we have to realize this, if we are receiving the way of Jesus, that means there are going to be some things in the way of Jesus that we think might be different. There are things that Jesus asked me to do that are hard. There are things that Jesus asked me to do that I don't want to do. There are things that Jesus asked me to do that I would rather not do. Are you with me? And I'm afraid that we live sometimes in a world that says, oh, if you're a Christian, you just do what you wanna do and take the good stuff that Jesus gives us, but don't ever receive the hard stuff that Jesus is is giving us. Our primary goal as followers of Jesus is to learn how to live in a constant connection with the Spirit. But oftentimes what we want is we want Jesus' words without his way. We want all the good stuff that he gives us without ever adopting a lifestyle of following him. We want to receive the passages that we like and that make us feel good and reject the ones that are difficult and hard for us. And we want a transactional relationship with Jesus. And can I just be honest with you? Jesus' invitation to every one of his followers was this, leave everything. Leave everything. And there were a few people who had troubles with that. Let me bury my father. I can't sell all that I have. You know what happened to them? They didn't follow in the way of Jesus. 
The invitation of Jesus is to lay down everything. And Jesus invites us into that, not because he's some controlling, angry uh, deity that's out here to control our lives. He invites us into his way because his way is actually the most redemptive, beautiful, amazing way to live in the world. And if we could actually inhabit the real way of Jesus, we would get breakthrough. So we're gonna teach through this sermon, and I believe it's the greatest sermon that's ever been preached, but I also believe that it's been domesticated. I believe that it's been watered down. I believe that we read the words and the message of Jesus and we get into some tough parts and we say, well, he didn't, he didn't really mean that. He didn't really mean to go that far. He didn't really have that high of a calling to holiness. And man, when we start getting into this, Jesus starts saying things like, you've heard it said, but I say, that's not fun stuff. Are you with me? That's not fun stuff. He's saying, listen, when I read the law of the Old Testament, that feels really hard. When I read the 10 Commandments, that feels really difficult. And Jesus says, oh yeah, I'm gonna raise the bar a little bit on that. You've heard it said this, but I'm actually gonna tell you this is the way of Jesus and it's actually harder than that. It's actually more difficult than that. It's actually more challenging than all of those different things. So I don't wanna domesticate the message of the Sermon on the Mount. I don't wanna water it down. I wanna read it and I wanna ask the question, what if he really means this? What if this really means this radical obedience, this radical holiness, this radical way of laying down my preferences for others over and over and over again. Matthew 4, verse 21, it says, going on from there, he saw two other brothers. So there's these two stories of two brothers that sit side by side, and these stories are almost identical. It's James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were both in the boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. They're just doing the thing that they always do before they go out to fish. They're getting ready to go out. They're getting ready to, to, to go and fish. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat, and then it adds this, and their father, and they followed him. So a lot of times I read scripture and I ask, why is that in there? Right? Why are there two narratives side by side? Why is there the Peter and Andrew and then James and John? Why are these stories sitting side by side in each other? I think it's Jesus actually saying the calling is not just to give up our job and to give up the things that we're walking in. It's actually stronger than that. It's actually harder than that. I'm actually, actually inviting you to create a new family. I'm creating a new family here on earth and it will be my disciples and my people and my followers and I'm inviting you to walk Walk in that, and the real question is, what is Jesus asking you to leave in order to follow his way? Because I can promise you this, I know some of you well, and I know some of you not well at all, but if undercover boss Jesus were here, and he was walking with you for a day, I can promise you at the end of the day, he would sit you down, and he would kindly and gently and lovingly, because his kindness leads us to repentance, right? he would say, here's where you're not walking in my way. And I wanna teach you to walk in my way. And the question is, will we receive that? I'm really terrified, guys, that the American church isn't teachable anymore. I'm really afraid that we're more informed by our news channels than we are by scripture. I'm really afraid that we don't want to be discipled by Jesus anymore because we're being so discipled by America. 
I'm terrified that our identity is not a follower of Jesus who walks in his way, but our identity is rooted in something completely different. Following the way of Jesus is always countercultural. Will you leave your father? Because when Jesus invites us into something, there's this beautiful, beautiful invitation. I was 12 years old when I went to a junior high youth ministry conference, and they did the thing where they sang Friends and Friends Forever, and there were thousands of people in the room, and they did the altar call, and people came forward and accepted Jesus, and I would already knew Jesus. I had already been walking with Jesus, but this guy got up there, and he said, I want to give you an invitation. Here's the invitation. We need preachers, and I think there's some preachers in this room. The guy's name was Duffy Robbins. It's like an old school youth ministry guy who has an awesome name. I sent him an email a few years ago and said, hey, I don't know if you know this, but you spoke at an event and I'm an old man now and I'm still preaching. And he gave an invitation to walk in the way of Jesus and I walked forward and I received that invitation. I went back home to my church and my, my, uh, my junior high Sunday school teacher when I became a freshman in high school was like, hey, I need you to teach the junior high Sunday school class with me. And it was really true. He was the worst teacher in the history of Christendom. He was really bad. And he said, listen, I, like, I'm not a good teacher. I love kids really well. I need, I need an assistant. Will you come in and will you start teaching? My freshman year of high school, I taught junior high Sunday school. For, I started that year. I did it for four years. Every week, talking to seventh and eighth grade boys about Jesus, and somewhere in the middle of that invitation, something got a hold of my heart, and there's been times when I've thought of doing something else, particularly in the last year, but I can't imagine not preaching the word. Like, I'm not even good at anything else. Like, I don't even know what else I have to offer the world. Like, I, I have no skills whatsoever except this. This is all I got. And so that one invitation changed my life. It changed everything about the trajectory of my life, the path that I walk in. It changed everything for me. It changed everything for my family. And I wonder if we create the same invitations for others, and I wonder if we accept the same invitations today. What's the invitation that Jesus is giving you today? What's the thing that he's saying, I just want to walk with you in this I just want to change your heart in this way. I just want to teach you this new discipline. I just want to teach you to faithfully, to befriend faithfulness. That's what we read at the beginning. I love that passage. We're going to befriend faithfulness and learn to walk in him. And, and, and when we do this, we're always going to stand against the crowd. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform anymore to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Exodus 23, 2 says, don't follow the crowd in wrongdoing. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. Matthew 7, thir verses 13 and 14, Jesus talks about the wide and the narrow gate, and he says, there is a narrow gate that few people will choose to walk in, but that's the invitation of the way of Jesus. It's a hard way, and not everybody will choose it. But I can promise you, as I look back in my life, the greatest decisions I've ever made in my life are marrying my wife and following Jesus. The, I, I, could, I could go back and think about my life all over and over and over again, and I wouldn't change anything about what I'm doing. 
and about what I'm walking in because that invitation has transformed my life. So here's my challenge. I'm going to wrap up. We, uh, we went out to the West Coast a couple weeks ago, and we went hiking. Uh, we went to Muir Woods, like the giant redwoods, and we went to Big Sur, and we went to all of these amazing places, kind of drove from San Francisco uh, down the coast and just drove along the coastline. And, and, and what I'm realizing is that my kids don't know how to enjoy the journey the way that Sarah and I do. And I'm guessing that if my parents sat with me and Sarah, they would say, my kids don't know how to enjoy the journey the way that we do. So when we, when we start hiking, um, the younger the kids are, they think the hike is a race up the hill, right? And so they're just sprinting up the hill or to get to wherever the end of the hike is. If there's a waterfall at the end, they're heading for that waterfall and they're just going. I'm gonna put my head down and I'm gonna get to the waterfall. If there's a, a, a coastline view at the end, they're heading straight for that coastline view and they're sprinting. And, 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 and my wife and I are walking along and we're taking pictures along the way and we're seeing the beauty and we're noticing all of these crazy and beautiful things along the way. We're driving down the coast and there's these amazing views out the window over and over and over again and I keep saying to my kids, put the phone down. Like, whoever you're watching playing video games on YouTube is not as entertaining as this. For the love of God, stop watching other people play video games. It's weird. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm glad that that got the greatest response out of everything I've talked about today, guys. Uh, but, but here's the thing. Like, I think, this is what I'm afraid of. I think that we can live our whole life watching YouTube videos of other people playing video games and racing to the top. And I think Jesus wants to say, learn to walk in my way. Learn to be with me. Learn to see the world the way that I see it. Learn to see the beauty in your brothers and sisters in Christ. Learn to see my love for your neighbors. Learn to see my heart for the world. Learn to be transformed. But in order to do that, we've got to slow down and we've got to learn to practice the way, which starts with this. And this is where we're jumping in next week. It starts with acknowledging, I don't know the way. It starts with saying humbly, I, I don't know how to live this way. I, I love Eugene Peterson. I've quoted him twice today. I just finished his biography, and, and he's a pastor who passed away uh, about 10, five to 10 years ago, and, and he's kind of one of those people. I, I, I know other people nerd out when they meet, like, athletes or musicians. Like, I feel like I have this unhealthy obsession to older pastors. Like, I, I, I just nerd out. Like, I would be nervous if I met some of these people. Like, my hands would get sweaty, and I, like, I don't know. I because these people have discipled me from afar and their writings have transformed my life and he's one of those guys that's done that and, I, and after he passed away, a friend of his got his journals and wrote a biography about his life and he's a lot older than me and he grew up at a different time and he pastored in a different generation but I was reading this, I was sitting on the beach in Florida at our vacation and I was reading these passages and he started talking about how much he loved this congregation and he started talking about how he would take pies to people's house. He'd just, every week, he'd find a different person from the church, he'd take them a pie, and then he'd sit with them for three hours and eat a pie. Like, I don't think most of you want me to show up at your house with a pie for three hours. Right? 
But as I was reading this, I started thinking, I want to love my church the way that he loves his church. And I don't know how to do it. And I set down the book, and I just started praying and saying, Lord, will you teach me to love my church like the guy that brings the pies for three hours? Will you teach me what bringing the pie for three hours looks like right now? Teach me how to be present, how to love, how to care. You teach me how to do these things. There has to be this humility in walking in the kingdom and acknowledging I'm not there yet. But Jesus, will you teach me how to get there? And I feel like that's the journey I'm going to be on the rest of my life because there's no moment when I arrive. Right? There's no moment where I say, okay, I love enough now. I did it. We just keep learning how to love and how to practice the way of Jesus. And so guys, I'm so excited about journeying through this. I'm so excited about our church taking a deep dive. I mean, like almost a year of spending time just talking about the way of Jesus and how do we practice it and how do we walk in it. And I wanna invite you to join us. And I wanna invite you to come into it with the same humility of saying, I'm not sure that I have all this figured out yet. And I still have something and so, Heavenly Father, we pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would move and work in our midst and in our church and in our family. We want to be people of your way and not our way. We want to carry your kingdom to the world. We want to bring beauty and light everywhere we go. But we recognize there are so many ways where we're the toddler laying on the ground or we're the kid sprinting up the mountain or watching something else and missing all the things that you're doing. And so right now, Jesus, Jesus, we ask you to help us. I ask you to do the work that I can't do while I'm preaching. I ask you to do the work that we can't do in worship. And I ask you and your Holy Spirit to search every heart in this room, every heart in our church, and reveal to us the ways in which we need to grow in your way. And I pray that we would be the people who drop the nets, who leave our family, and follow you.